3CR Community Radio, 855am. Hi, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. Earlier this year, to celebrate NAIDOC Week, the Indigenous Peoples Organisation Australia, in collaboration with Better Futures Australia, hosted a webinar series called Heal Country, Heal Climate. Today on the show, we'll hear part two of a three-part episode called Healing Our Lands. This episode is chaired by Radri and Yamba Woman, Dr. Virginia Marshall, and the speakers are Niganamangala Garijari Yaru and Jabba Jabba Man, Anthony Watson, Wati Man Kaido Mua, and Wangan and Jagalingu Man, Adrian Burugaba. What we're really basically saying to the government today is stop what you're doing, come back, talk to us, and co-design a heritage protection framework that actually is aimed at protecting, celebrating our culture and our heritage and not to be making assessments based on the social and economic interest of the state. That should be a separate process. What we really need to be looking at is valuing and protecting cultural heritage places uh, based on their inherent cultural heritage values so you know you you don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to work out what that uh, why we're talking about healing land healing land because we had one of our most uh, oldest um, heritage places bombed blown up under the sanction of the state with uh, a multinational mining company who doesn't appear to have learnt anything both the state government and the mining company are hoping this issue will go away. They're proceeding as business as usual. The government released an Aboriginal Heritage Act, which they put out for public consultation. We understand today that since that public consultation process, they have redrafted that piece of legislation 20 times without any reference to anyone. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. They may be doing it with the hand of the mining companies on the pen. But uh, we don't know that. So our um, our message to the government is come back to us, co-design legislation that protects our heritage. And it's not about development. I would love to see a piece of legislation that celebrates our culture and our heritage, legislation that protects our languages. You know, this is an opportunity. The minister we have today is from Ireland, My understanding is that he grew up and went to school in an Irish immersion school, so he speaks uh, Gaelic well. Why can't we have our Aboriginal languages taught in our schools across Western Australia as part of an Aboriginal heritage protection framework? So these are the sort of, you know, and it's not as if we don't have any money. We're quite a wealthy state. We've been uh, blowing up and destroying Aboriginal sites left, right and centre to generate... uh, revenue that now sits in the coffers of government. But uh, they're not willing to share that wealth around. And they've, they basically continue to sideline 
First Nations communities. And the great thing about this, though, is that we are actually all coming together. So I'm part of uh, the Aboriginal Heritage Action Alliance. I'm also part of the National Native Title Council, the First Nations Heritage Protection Alliance, which uh, is formed at, uh, at a national level, who's actually negotiating with uh, Minister Lay on the framework to review the federal heritage legislation. But in Western Australia, none of that is happening. The minister's got his head in the sand. The government's uh, riding this huge majority that they've got and they're hoping that they can ride roughshod over us and destroy our sites within a legally sanctioned legal framework. And so you mentioned earlier, Virginia, about... um, United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. That's right, yeah. That's actually a minimum standard. If there's if the laws are introduced today anywhere in Australia that does not reflect United Nations standards, then those laws are illegitimate. They don't uh, deserve to, the ink on the paper that they're uh, printed on. So what do we learn from this really is that Western Australia is hooked up to mining revenue they're addicted to mining money and, you know, trample all over our rights, destroy our country, destroy our environment. Internationally and across the world, Jukan has drawn attention to what's going on here. It's also activated the investment community. So responsible investors, the movement of green capital, those sort of things are now coming into play where mining companies are going to find that they cannot get access to money if they do not treat Indigenous rights and environmental rights with the respect that is expected by the society at large. Your money is actually paying for uh, these companies. So you've, you've got the ability to actually put pressure back on uh, industry and government through... Uh, tracking down what's happening with your money. Thank you, Cody. Just a quick question on that before I go to Adrian, is that when we look at issues um, and you talked about Duke and Gorge and the terrible situation, um, shocking situation that happened with that area being blown up, how does it change uh, when shareholders revolt and put pressure on companies to have people removed, uh, senior bureaucrats in the organisation and also a CEO. Do you find that that shareholder strength could also be replicated throughout Australia to stand up for this? Yeah, Yeah, no, they're absolutely terrified of it. Uh, This is one of the big uh, lies, the other big lies that's being perpetrated by government and industry is that they do not enjoy the prospect of shareholders through their um, uh, fund managers and elsewhere, uh, coming back and asking questions and saying, okay, you guys, uh, we need to hold you to account. But fortunately, that's going on today. You see the uh, example of Dutch Shell, I think, being taken to court in The Hague. So these sort of things are happening today. And it's the age of the responsible investor who is basically expecting a return on their capital that is conscionable you know there's no no more um no no more room for doing bad and i think that's the thing that mm-hmm. governments their responsibility their sole responsibility is to ensure that laws are written so that uh, people or corporates don't do bad things 
That's awesome. So thanks so much. We'll talk a bit more on that a bit later. Thanks, Cato. Hi, Adrian. Um, do you want to tell a little bit about yourself so people out there know exactly who you are and, and, and what you're actually doing on country and some of the big struggles that are happening on country? Yeah, well, um, I'd like to just start with introducing myself. Uh, my name is Adrian Burugaba. Um, we belong to the, uh, to the uh, Wanganjagalingu country that's out there in the Galilee Basin where the Carmichael Coal Mine is, where Clive Palmer's trying to get his mine going in Alpha and Gina Reinhardt. So, yeah, our country's uh, rich in mineral resources. We had a very effective campaign that we ran against the uh, Adani Carmichael Mine uh, and ran over about uh, five, six years. And um, a lot of it was just based on uh, what the people wanted. And so they're the fundamental principles on, you know, why I speak about things that, you know, are, are important to the land. It's the people really that um, I get the messages from. When the people are not comfortable with negotiations and the process of uh, Iliwas and, and native title, um, look, I mean, I was an applicant for a while on the Wangan and Jagalingu claim, and I found it very difficult because uh, our people just didn't quite know what to expect or what to do because, you know, they'd walk into a room full of lawyers and, um, I mean, half the time they're being told that, uh, you know, they don't have the traditional decision-making processes and, you know, and uh, they just get bamboozled. And so I've had to sort of contend with that native title process. My nephew is Tony McAvoy, so he's a senior council barrister. He works in the native title, so um, I have a, a little bit of insight in those kind of things because I, I get a bit of advice from him when I can. But when it comes to native title, I feel that it is so ambiguous. The native title legislation has so many grey areas in it. From what I've discovered, the five federal court cases we had challenging um, the, the Iliwa process was just so difficult because... Um, nobody really know, knew what it actually stipulated. And that was, that, was, that was my problem because, I mean, he, here I was, I was presented to the court, a statement of claim uh, connecting the totems with the moiety, with the skin names, with the, the marriage system, with, with the law. And all of these things, basically, my statement of claim was, this is how everything is connected in our country, from the water to the trees to the to the animals, to the grass, to all those things. And nobody could contest it. No one could challenge it, not even the court. They just wanted to dismiss it because they used the native title process. And that process was majority rules. And that's why they didn't see what I was doing by challenging that process as being in the public interest. And so I, I, I suffered under that process. You know, the, the, uh, the judge awarded costs, you know, to, to Adani, and so I got lumbered with uh, a great debt where Adani bankrupted me. And the state are, you know, responsible for that. The Queen, Queensland state government never at any point has the the, uh, the Labor government, the Palaszczuk government, ever come to us and talk to us about, you know, what our grievances are, you know, at any point. And also, you know, the, the federal government never spoken to us. And if we just look at recently, you know, the, the latest native title amendments, it was basically to secure the total defeat, annihilation, you know, the death of the, the McGlade decision and bury it completely because they didn't know how to handle that. 
And so now, through those amendments, we now have majority rules. So now we have a situation under neighbor title where basically, and when it comes to agreements, mining agreements and uh, inilluas, the uh, mining companies don't have to go to the claim group. So legislation says now they can go to the majority or go to the PVC. So here we go. We're, we're, we're doing away with uh, free prior informed consent where everybody has to be consulted. Everybody has to know what's going on in the country, especially those law people, you know, the ones that, you know, that feel the country that are there, you know, that, uh, that practice, you know, the law and custom. These people are um, excluded from the, the, the process. So once we've got, we've got a settler society deciding for us what's right for us so that mining can go ahead. We're just going back to John Howard's 10-point scam. You know, mining um, comes before um, Aboriginal rights. And so they're the difficulties that I found with native title. Um, I'm, skeptic, I'm skeptical of it. You know, there's, uh, there's, there's too much ambiguities in it, and they need to go back to Marbo. If you really want to get this right, you really need to go back to Marbo, and you really need to deal with treaties with people, individual, individual individual groups on individual country, they need to they need to make agreements with us, economic treaties or such. But you know, that's that's still a long way off, you know. Um uh, title cannot deal with uh compensation royalties or, you know, the injury, harm and loss that it causes to First Nations people in this country because our people are suffering not only from the initial impact of um, you know, the invasion and the colonization. We suffer again because, you know, we're being coerced, you know, into making agreements and then feeling sorry for it later on. Our people are sort of, you know, not in a position, you know, to negotiate because it's, it's always, uh, it, it's coming from, you know, the big end of town and uh, what they're considering. So cultural heritage management plans, another aspect of that, the state handles that here. So the state government has a power over that, that cultural heritage. And there isn't any registered cultural heritage sites in Queensland. I don't know why that is. We've got archaeologists working with traditional owners and, you know, custodians, and there's just nothing really happening, you know. There's just no great push. And while we're all, you know, being um, lobbed into these uh, consent determinations and PBCs and, and these kind of things, we have to sit around and wait and the law people have to wait until somebody figures out when we need to approach the government. I mean, we all know this and there's experience this with the governments that, you know, you could you could be yelling at them until you're blue in the face, but they're not going to do anything until they work it out themselves. I treat the settler society like they're little brothers and sisters. We're going to be patient with them and bring them along, but we have to educate them. Heal country, you know, it's just another way of them saying that, they can recognise that things are going wrong, but they don't know how to fix it because their legislation doesn't, it, it separates them from, you know, their, their, their personal views. So native title is not a good way of dealing with our rights. And so that legislation, those amendments that have just been handed down a few months ago was just, you know, draconian as far as I'm concerned because... Um, you know, there's there's been there's been no real consultation. They don't have time to. You're listening to Earth Matters.
on the Community Radio Network. When it comes to our rights, we're just going out and asserted our rights. We're not protesters. We don't protest. We keep getting labelled as protesters, but we're not. You know, we're asserted our rights now, and we went on to country. Um, Adani doesn't have, have exclusive rights over the pastoral lease. We coexist. We went there and we took a parcel of that land and we just set a camp up and we've been living there going back and forth unhindered. They tried to get the, the Queensland police to, um, to come in and move us and try to trespass us. Queensland police were out of step with the Human Rights Act now, the 2019 Human Rights Act. We've since taken uh, them to conciliation to the Human uh, Rights Commission and they've given me um, a letter of regret over that issue. But here, here we see once again mining companies and, and, and the industry controlling the way legislation goes and also using police, you know, uh, resources, you know, to try to subjugate our people and to control our people. But in this situation, you know, we uh, we got the upper hand and we won that. And so many of our people, are, so many of our people, I see in, in, in the country now, you know, they're still fighting just for rights to go out and fish and hunt, you know. And they're getting challenged all the time, you know, by parks and wildlife and, and, and police and all this kind of stuff. Under the federal native title legislation, Section 44B1, these rights are conferred to us. We're able to carry on on our traditional activities in the area and, um, you know, hunt and fish and gather food and have ceremony. And we don't have native title at the moment. And the, the government's doing so much to try to not destroy that native title claim. But we've asserted our rights. We have the Queensland Human Rights Act now that I'm using now currently against you know, Queensland police and currently against the Queensland government because they're not respecting our water rights. And um, Adani's got um, self-reporting rules that he governs himself. Queensland government um, have said clearly that, you know, um, they, they wipe their hands of it and they can't do anything about investigating the, the, the groundwater management. It's up to Adani. We currently have a story. We've got a complaint into the Queensland government that, uh, that Adani is affecting the, the, the water with the, with the construction development of the mine. If it goes on any further, it's going to affect, you know, all the dreaming tracks, all the, all the, the, the aquifers and, and, and uh, you know, the, the springs that are the natural springs that are there. So we just are asserting our rights. And um, when we talk about the, you know, the, the free prior uh, informed consent, you know, a, a lot of people sort of, they just throw it around like, you know, it's something that, you know, that, that the United Nations can do or, you know, but it's, it's really a principle. And we, we have fundamental inalienable rights as human beings in this country. And it's, it's not based on native title and it's not based on any legislation. It's, it's based on our rights as First Nations people, you know, and you don't even have to be within a group of people. You've got culture, practising your culture. You've got a right to go on your land and you've got a right to conduct mm-hmm. ceremony and culture. So that's what, that's what we're doing and we're asserting that. And so they're leaving us alone for the time being. The local council, the Isaac Regional Council, are working with us now to develop healing in the, this healing process. You know, they want us to be involved in NAIDOC this year for the first time. 
have asked us. They're complying, they're agreeing, they're cooperating with us. We've asked to build a corroboree ground right there central to, you know, the entrance point to the town. The council is assisting us with sand and rocks and want to build uh, signs and things for us now. So we're working with, with them. And so with local government, once we get them on side, you know, then, um, you know, we, we can show people that we can work together. The mining companies are just too hard to work with. They're standovers, and they they think they can just like uh, boss our people around and tell us what to do. And the lawyers that, that that they have, you know, they treat our people with disrespect. With uh, regard to like uh, climate change, I feel that our laws and customs, our our First Nations, our law that goes back to time immemorial. The first law that's in the land, you know, is the the, the basis for environmental protection. Now, it, when we talk when we talk about the law, it's sort of like the animals, the trees, and the totems. They need to stay there. They're they're our garden. They're our guide. They're our reference to, you know, the, the, the creation, the beginning of time, the beginning of all things. And that's our reference point, and that's our law. We can't we can't surrender that, and they can't usurp. That's law, and they, they can't they can't do that, you know, and that's the thing that you know, you know, builds the foundation for you know environmental protection, and working with other environmental groups, I always tell them that this is this is where this is where you come from. As when you deal with us and you talk with us, you're referring to our law and custom when it comes to the environment. It's not just saving a tree. Saving a, you know, the frogs, or saving, you know, the, the the environment. It's about you're standing with us to protect our law and custom by acknowledging our protocols, by acknowledging our law and custom. You're then joining with us, and this is how the reconciliation process works. So that's where I'm coming from. By protecting the environment, you're also joining us with our fight against climate change. So. You know, for us, I don't know too much about the whole science of it. Um, I have scientists that deal with all those issues, and I delegate to them. But we've got to go. We've got to go a little, a little bit further, and try to educate people about our worldview and where we're coming from. That seems to be the biggest problem at the moment, because you know um, they're undermining our decision-making processes, which in turn makes us look like we're totally compliant to whatever the state is telling us. And so that's sort of sort of where we are at the moment. But we, we still, you know, we still assert our rights. And now that people are wanting to work with us, local councils and so on, you know, we still, we still get like Adani, you know, saying that they work with uh, segments of the, the traditional society and they claim them as their little Aborigines, you know what I mean? But when I speak against any destruction and, you know, any, any environmental, you know, breaches, you know, it seems to be like I should just be just excluded from anything and discarded and not, be, not, not identified or anything. So it's this dispossession process coming along and state government, the state, the mining companies, they all just band together 
to try to silence the voice. But, you know, I just keep talking. I just keep doing what I do. I just keep moving. And my, my kids carry on with it. So we want to see the land looked after. You know, everybody knows natural springs are a sacred site. The Dungamula Springs are a, a, a um, like a, an area where there's about 10 natural springs that uh, nobody knows where they come from. No one knows how it, it feeds the Kamapa River into the Baliando River. And still the Dani and still the state government do not and cannot explain where the water comes from and, you know, uh, how it's been, like, um, you know, travelling through the country for millions, billions of years. And so just recently Adani lost a federal court decision to take water from the, uh, from the Soto River. That was where he's going to use the water for the, the, uh, the wash down and the washing the coal. He's lost that. The uh, ACF um, beat the federal court, the federal government in that. And so we're still asking the question, where were you going to get the water from to wash down your coal? He's not telling anybody. And the government's saying that they don't have to. So we're putting pressure on the government saying, leave our sacred site alone. Leave the water alone. It's the water spirit. It's the Mandanjara. It's the, it's the rainbow serpent dreaming runs through that country. Feeds and gives life to all of our totems. And, you know, you destroy that, you're going to destroy it. You're going to affect our human lives. Yeah, and, and that's such a big issue, Adrian, especially when you look around the world in California, in Mexico. Um, recently this uh, week, they were talking about mega droughts, you know, and also, as you mentioned, climate change is such a big issue for Indigenous peoples all over the world, yeah. um, just making sure that we're involved in those communications and those discussions worldwide. So, you know, that's a really good point to make. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today on the show we heard part two of a three-part episode called Healing Our Lands and it's from the NADOC 2021 series, Heal Country, Heal Climate. This webinar series is hosted by the Indigenous Peoples Organisation Australia at indigenouspeoplesorg.com.au and Better Futures Australia at betterfutures.org.au. And if you missed part of today's show or you want to check out part one of this episode, Healing Our Lands, you can find the podcasts and all the details of the speakers at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we'd love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And you can also find us on your socials. But don't forget, tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. Thank you.
Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore, giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new T-shirt, or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855AM. Keep in touch, 3cr.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.